Um, we're looking at Luke 10, 38 to 42. I'll just give you a second to turn there in your Bibles. I'm sure you keeners remembered where we were, but I didn't, so. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. <coughs> Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Let's just pray. Father God, um, I just ask again that you would guide us uh, to word, um, that we would put aside any distractions, um, anything from the past week and anything that we have planned for the following week, that we would put all those things aside for the next 45 minutes, and that we would just uh, focus our attention solely on uh, the lessons um, that uh, are going to come out of this passage and that we would seek to apply them to our lives um, in the following weeks. Good morning, uh, Genesis House. It's great to be here with you this morning. As you probably already noticed, uh, your pastor, Andrew, is not here today. Some of you call him Dex for short, but uh, he's not here. And uh, just let me introduce myself so that you know who I am, uh, so we can get better acquainted. Uh, my name is Lazarus. Now, I know we've not formally met before, but I'm sure that many of you are familiar with my story. You see, I'm the guy that was raised from the dead, uh, after being four days in the grave by Jesus. And I'm sure you all have a ton of questions about that day, and I'd love to discuss those with you downstairs at lunch. But for now, I'm actually here for a different reason. You see, uh, your pastor and I were um, at coffee the other day. There's a place in Okotoks uh, called White, White Sugar, is it? White Brown Bread? What's that place called? Brown Sugar, that's it, yeah, Brown Sugar. Well, we were there for coffee, and... Um, we were sharing stories about how Jesus has radically transformed our lives. And when I told him one day in particular that really radically changed my thinking, he, he could totally relate to some of the things I was saying. And he thought it was so important, if it was so important for him, that it would be really important for you too, because he recognized that we're all in the same boat in terms of these struggles. So he wanted me to come and speak to you today. And... Uh, tell you about the, the way Jesus radically changed my thought life in terms of being a follower of him. Now he told me also that uh, whenever someone teaches here, it's the preference of the church that we go verse by verse, right? Like you're an expository teaching kind of church, you don't like it when we just sort of shoot from the hip and stuff, right? That's what your preference? Okay, well I'll do, I'll do that again today as well. That's what I actually prefer. You know, Jesus was a good, I was a good student of his, so that's the way we do things. And, as well, so let's start in verse 38. You'll notice there that it says that 
As they were traveling along, they entered a village. Now the village that Jesus and his disciples entered that day was, of course, my hometown. That was the town of Bethany. Now there's really not much to say about my hometown except that it was located very close to Jerusalem. You see, Bethany was situated on the east side of the mountain of Olives, which is only two miles from the temple. So it's about a 30-minute walk, depending how long legs are. Now the reason why Jesus was there in the first place was that he just completed over two years of missionary work in Galilee, and now he was traveling south on his way to Jerusalem for his final leg of his ministry. Now I think it's important to tell you at this point who Jesus became to my sisters and I. See, we had a very particular belief about him. You'll notice that in verse 40 that Martha addressed him as Lord. That's a pretty significant title in my day, considering that the view that Jesus being Lord was not shared by many of my countrymen. It's kind of similar how, how it is in your day. The name of Jesus is really subject to much controversy. But within Israel, um, there are many who believed he was a prophet. There was rumors going around that he was John the Baptist. There was rumors going around that he was maybe Elijah. And some thought he was Jeremiah. There were others who didn't think much of him at all. They were actually quite ignorant towards him. They accused him of being a lunatic and being a crazed man. And a good portion of our religious leaders thought he was demonic. They even gave him a title that was satanic. They called him the Beelzebul, the ruler of demons, if you can believe it. You see then how radical our belief had, was about Jesus by calling him Lord. Because not only did we stand out like a sore thumb in our culture, but it was a, our way of identifying him as the Messiah. We believed he was the Christ and he was the Son of God who came in to redeem Israel. Now if you're wondering how we became, came to believe that, again you can ask me that downstairs. We don't have time for that today. But you can see now why, when Martha heard that Jesus and his disciples had come to our village, they couldn't wait to pounce on the opportunity to have him over. You'll notice in verse 38, it says, A woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Now, as you know, I, ha I have two sisters. But I want you to notice, of the two sisters, who it was that actually invited Jesus in. Mary didn't invite Jesus in. Martha did. You see, my, Mar my sister Martha has always been known for hospitality. She's known for being a great cook. She's, she's fantastic at providing a big spread and always makes people welcome, makes people feel welcome. If you read the scriptures in the New Testament, you'll actually find that her name comes up a few times with like serving supper, for example. Many of you would really like Martha. She's a kind of woman who is a great asset to any family and especially within a church. You see, many of you here can re totally relate to her. You see, Martha's the kind of woman that likes to be hospitable and get things done. And if hospitality is your thing, then you understand what Martha's like. See, it was her way, and it's your way, of serving the Lord. It's, that's the way you would honor Him, is by serving Him, by doing things. You'd open up your home, you serve others, and you're generous with what God's blessed you. And so you can relate to Martha in that way. And I say this just to paint Martha in a positive light so that you understand who she truly is. Because when Jesus and the disciples came over that day, Martha's heart's heart and intentions were in the right place. They totally were. This is her way of showing him love by serving him. But once Jesus and the disciples came over, my other sister Mary took a different approach to Jesus. Notice in verse 39 what she did. It says there that um, 
she was seated at the Lord's feet, listening to his word. Well, when you read this through a Western perspective, nothing probably stands out to you there, does it? Nothing too crazy. But let me just tell you as a Jew, that what was going on in, that, in my house that day between Jesus and Mary never happened in my culture. That didn't happen. You see, Jewish rabbis didn't allow women to receive instruction from them. This privilege was only reserved for men, and to think all otherwise was a cultural faux pas. Even Jesus' own disciples recognized this. Do you remember in John chapter 4, when the disciples and Jesus came into Samaria? They arrived at a well after a long day's journey. They were tired and they're hungry. And Jesus sent the disciples to get food for them in the city of Sychar. A woman arrives to draw water. And they enter into this incredible spiritual conversation. And near the end of the conversation, the disciples return to find their rabbi talking to a woman. Do you remember what they thought in their heads? They said this. They thought this, but were afraid to ask Jesus this, or say this to Jesus. They said, they were amazed that he was speaking with a woman. You see, for Mary to be sitting at the feet of Jesus in a position of absolute humility, listening to his word, was a remarkable moment indeed. But that also tells you a lot about my sister. There was a lot going on in our house that day. A lot of people were there. Things were crazy. But she was hungry to hear and learn from the Lord. And so she made him her number one priority. But while Mary was preoccupied with Jesus, Martha was preoccupied with something else. You can see this in verse 40. It says here that Martha was distracted with all her preparations. Now if I were to ask you, what, what do you think uh, distraction means? Or how would characterize someone that was distracted? He'd probably say, unable to concentrate. Someone whose mind is always preoccupied with other things. That's a decent definition. But I think if you understand the Greek word, you're going to appreciate it much more. It gives you a really nice word picture. You see, the Greek word means to wheel about or to be over-busied. Wheeled about, that's a great picture, isn't it? Think of a person on a unicycle. How they sort of like go here to there, here to there quickly, short abrupt moves, always like fighting for balance, stirring the boat back and forth, constantly changing direction. And over busy, well, I mean, you know what that means. Well, this was Martha. And if you were an outsider looking in, who could blame her? What a massive undertaking this was. Think of the number of guests in the house, Jesus and the disciples along with my family. But not only the number of guests, who was the main guest? I mean, think of the nature of the, pro the prolific status of this man. This is the Messiah. He's our Lord. We believe he's the one that the prophets have spoken about. We, we, this guy is who we've been waiting for for hundreds of years. And here he is in our house. Martha thought it's important to present him with the absolute best that she had to offer. At the same time, though, I could see Martha getting more and more frustrated, as is often the case with over-busied, over willing people. I mean, you, can, you know those kind of people, I think. You know how they are. As tasks pile up and time becomes one's enemy, you become over-busy and you become frustrated. And once you're over-busy and you're wheeling about and you become frustrated, it often leads to complaining. Because you just can't handle everything that's going on in your life. 
Well, this is exactly what happened to my sister Mary. She went from being over busy to wheeling about to being frustrated, and then she started to make a complaint. And we see her solution for her complaining was actually to go to Jesus. She comes to him and says this, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Tell her to help me. <laughs> I must admit, when I heard Martha approach Jesus in this manner, she kind of took me by surprise. She took me aback. I mean, my sister's forward, but man, this kind of crossed the line, I thought. First of all, her issue was with Mary. That's who she was upset with. Why didn't she just go to her? Why go to Jesus? But she went to Jesus. Secondly, I was kind of surprised by how bold she was in the way she approached him. I mean, to be honest, I thought it was kind of rude the way she came up to him in the middle of his teaching session and interrupted him. I mean, she could have sat down with, beside Mary, listened for a little while, looked for a nice opportunity to say, Hey, Jesus, I've got something to bring forward to you. She doesn't. The text says here, She came up to him and said, Lord, do you not care? Probably in mid-sentence, speaking, speaking probably about patience and the virtue of patience. <laughs> but to make matters worse, she accused him of being insensitive. Jesus, insensitive? Yeah, she says, don't you care? Don't you care? I mean, when I look back on that moment now, and I think Martha too, it's incomprehensible to think that she would say that to Jesus. I mean, this man, we'd later come to understand that he was actually the most caring and selfless man ever to live. And furthermore, the way she spoke to him was, I thought again, rude because even when she asked the question, she wasn't even looking for an answer. She didn't even give him time to answer. He, she just asked the question and barked out, then tell her to help me. It was a rhetorical question for Mary, or for Martha. It was kind of rhetorical. She already thought she knew the answer, so she just says, don't you care? You go tell her to help me. So she's barking orders and commanding Jesus of what to do. But here's the thing, Genesis House. The reason she took such a bold and assertive approach with Christ is because she totally believed she was in the right. She believed also that Jesus would side with her by the way she asked the question. She didn't say, do you think it's not fair that he, she's not helping? What do you think we should do? Or anything like that. It was a command. It was a barking of an order. And it was this whole uh, bold approach which says, I'm in the right, Jesus, you know it, so fix my problem now. And again, I've said this already in a different way, but to be honest, as her brother, I could totally sympathize. I thought what Martha was asking for was totally justified. I mean, there's only two sisters, and here Martha's got like all these people in the home, and look who was in her home, and she's doing all the work by herself. Surely it was only justified and fair that Mary would be helping. Those of you who like to point out injustice when things don't happen to you and like to point out when you've got the short end of the stick, you can totally relate to Martha, can't you? But this is where Jesus radically changed my thinking. And he really forced me to rethink and prioritize my life. Look at what he said to her. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things. 
but only one thing is necessary, for Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. You know, it's amazing how Jesus responded to her. Martha came in, guns slinging, right? Accusatory, aggressive, bold, assertive. Jesus didn't retaliate in the same tone and in the same manner. He could have said, whoa, woman, back off. Do you realize how much in error you are right now? Do you know who you're talking to? I know you believe I'm Lord. Do you talk to a Lord, your Lord, that way? Nothing. He came in with a spirit of gentleness. Martha, Martha. Be like you saying to your kid or to your wife, sweetie, honey, it's okay. Totally gentle and calm. And what really stood out to me, besides his tone, was that Jesus told my sister that she was worried and bothered about so many things. I mean, really? Was she? She was serving the Lord. That was her ministry. The hospitality that she was showing him was done out of love for him. The only reason she was distracted with all her preparations and had so many things to do and was so worried and bothered was because of him. That's the only reason why. She wasn't like that if he wasn't there. But not only this, the ministry that she was offering was actually something God approved of. And Andrew told me that you guys are really great with your New Testament. So I'm going to just remind you of these passages that you already know. But remember Romans 12, 13? Hospitality is a godly virtue. Contribute to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. To practice something means you repeat it over and over again. Martha wasn't a one-hit wonder. She, she was known for this in Bethany. And like I said, the other New Testament scriptures show you that she offered supper on more than one occasion. So she was doing a good thing. Not only this, there was nothing wrong with a woman being a keeper of the home, which is what Martha was. Titus 2, 4, 5. It says, Older women to encourage younger women to love their husbands, to love their children, and to be workers at home. Martha was doing that. And there was nothing wrong with entertaining guests. In fact, a widow couldn't even be put on the list for financial help in the New Testament church unless she had been known as someone who invited people into her home and took care of them on a regular basis. 1 Timothy 5.10 A widow is to put on the list only if she is not less than 60 years old, having been the wife of one man, having a reputation for good works, if she has brought up children and has shown hospitality to strangers. Martha didn't know who the disciples were up until that point. She'd heard about Jesus. She hadn't met Jesus yet. So here's the thing. Martha in no way was out of step with God in terms of her ministry. She was no way sinning in any way by inviting him into the home and doing the things she was. But the issue for Jesus, which he pointed out to her, was there was an area of, of, of struggle and priority. It was an issue of priority. Here was the greatest teacher. Listen, let me fix my turban here. It's just uh, getting hot. We have ways of cooling ourselves down in Israel that isn't happening here in Okotoks. But, uh, here the greatest teacher on the planet is sitting in, the, in our living room, 
This is the Messiah, the one we believe to be Lord, giving us a chance to go to seminary for free. For free! And a chance to grow spiritually. And all Martha could worry about was the nourishment that would come from the physical food and not the nourishment that would come from the spiritual food. Martha was the kind of person that loved God, desired to be with Him, but only after the list of things got done. i got to get all my stuff done, and then I'll spend time with Him. That was Martha. And here's the thing, church. These were self-imposed assignments. They were not God-imposed assignments. And no doubt Jesus would have appreciated little things. But she was so busy doing things for Jesus that she left herself with no time for Jesus. She was so busy doing things for Jesus that she had left herself with no time for Jesus. You know, if I was to put words in Jesus' mouth, I think he'd say something like this. Martha, I don't need you to put swirls in the top of the mashed potatoes. I don't need you to have all the peppers cut absolutely perfectly because people are coming over for dinner so that they're all uniform. I don't need the radishes to be like totally like filleted so they look like flowers when you put them on the plate. I don't need you to put the pillows on the bed in the right color coordination at the right angle so that they all look perfect when they come over and then re and redo the pillows after you made a mistake the first time. I don't need any of that. I don't need you to put garnish in my soup with greenery because when I put my spoon in there, it's going to get destroyed anyway. Listen, all I need from you is a bowl of soup and your couch, and that's good for me. But what I want is your time. And Martha missed it that day, and Mary got it right, and it was not going to be taken away from her. Mary had truly understood what Jesus had said two years earlier while being tempted by Satan in the wilderness. That man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Now I understand it's your custom in Genesis House to do lessons after the sermon. So since I'm a guest speaker, I thought that it would be okay if I did something a little different. I want to leave you with a few questions to ponder. And I'm sure it'll be as sufficient to, as lessons in creating dialogue, which we're going to have after. But let me ask you this. As a general statement since you've come to Christ, would your walk with the Lord be summarized as being more like Mary? Or would you be summarized as being more like Martha? Do you regularly make time for the Lord to commune with Him, to sit at His feet, to listen, to hear from the best teacher on the planet, the one that you believe to be Lord? Or are you like Martha and you lead a life of distraction? You're often worried and bothered about so many things. And you love Him, I know you do, but you love Him like she did, and you like to serve Him, but it's so hard for you just to make time for Him on a regular basis. How about another question? What keeps you from being, from being a Mary? Or what keeps you, or yeah, what keeps you from being a Mary? 
Or what is it that distracts you on a constant basis that keeps you from hearing God's word on a regular basis? You know what? Maybe it's a ministry of some sort. Maybe it's a ministry that's God approved. And you're so busy doing things in the Lord that there's not enough time to actually worship the Lord and spend time with Him. Maybe ministry is keeping you away from, serve, or from being with Christ. Can you believe that? That's what, that's what Mar- Mary, or Martha's issue was. A God-approved ministry but she was, it kept her away from what God said was the only thing necessary. The one thing. I think there's many Christians in this boat who get involved in all sorts of ministry that are done with a genuine heart and in service to Christ, but in the end it results in twisting of priority because they're just wheeling about, so busy trying to get the tasks done. And one thing I learned that day in Bethany was that our doing for the Lord can never be satisfactory as a substitution for the worship of the Lord. Let me pose you another question. What keeps you from getting to church on a regular basis? What keeps you and distracts you from attending Bible studies on Mondays and Tuesday nights that I heard you guys have here? Or getting together uh, with other Christians throughout the week to discuss the scriptures? Or having corporate time as a family with, with your children to teach them God's ways? What distractions have taken precedence over making Him your priority? Is it work around the home? The never-ending yard work? The repairs? The maintenance, the cleaning, the cooking, the laundry, the transporting the kids to and fro from endless lists of activities that Okotoks provides. Maybe it's your work. Maybe, maybe it's work. I'm so busy with work. I'm so busy with work. Or it's sports. Sports is another one. Can't make it to this, can't make it to that because I've got to go to this and I've got to go to that and so on and so forth. How about hobbies? Again, these things aren't sinful. They're not wrong. God doesn't think anything poorly of them. The question is, are they distracting you to the point that you are giving God your number one priority and giving Him your best? Making time for Him. How about the way you use free time? How much time are you on Kijiji? I heard about Kijiji. I didn't, we don't have that in Israel but uh, when I was around, but we do, I heard about it. Sounds like it can suck up your time. But Kijiji, another one, Facebook. Pinterest. Surfing the web. Netflix. Maybe you decreased Netflix since it's gone up $2. At least that's what I've heard. How about your iPhone, your Samsung, Galaxy? You see, what I've learned from Jesus back then that Andrew was convicted of when he listened to me speak at White Brown Sugar, that's it, Brown Sugar. He said that he understood the distractions that take him away from the Lord and how it's, it has to make him a priority on a regular basis. And I realized that you have the same struggles as he does, that so many things can lead you away and create worry and bother you But the lesson I learned that day that Andrew wants you to hear is that only one thing is necessary. Mary chose the good part and that will not be taken away from her. There are many things that will create distractions in our lives to take take us away from Him. But as believers, our number one priority is to spend time with the Lord, listening and learning from Him. 
So the question I have for you is, which sister do you want to be 